In October 2022, the Institute for New Global Politics spoke to Yasa Musa of the Nubian Rights Forum in Nairobi, Kenya, about some of the unintended consequences that the adoption of new digital technologies are bringing to Kenyan society. I'm Yasa Musa, um, project manager at the Nubian Rights Forum. Uh, it is a community-based uh, civil organization which works uh, nationally and also through the East African region in Kenya, uh, partners in Uganda and Tanzania. Um, just a brief uh, statement on how the organization started. It was uh, established in 2002, but uh, it was registered in 2011 um, through Ministry of uh, Foreign Affairs uh, Culture. And one of the reasons why we registered Nubia Rights Forum, it's uh, because of the challenges the Nubian community has been facing on access to nationality. Just a brief on how this happened. Nubians have been, Nubians came to Kenya in 1870s. They were brought by the King's African Rifles. They worked for King's African Rifles. That is the, the British government. They came to fight for the British colonies so that at least they can be able to rule the East African region. After they had served the British uh, government, they were issued uh, title deeds in Kibera and various parts of uh, Kenya as a gift to them. But uh, this was not issued to them officially. So they've just been living in areas whereby at least they call home. But the cradle place they call home is Kibra. They've lived in Kibra and were issued with 4,700 uh, acres, which has now been minimized up to 288. This is because of uh, the historical injustices that the community has been facing. And one of the historical injustices they've been facing is access to legal uh, identity. Um, the legal identity is a document that proves who you are and can also give you opportunities to be able to access services and also open bank accounts, receive money, or even get a scholarship. Uh, in 2011, we got um, judgment from the African Commission and the Welfare of a Child. Uh, we filed a case with the Open Society Justice Initiative and the Nubian Elders because Kenyan government had violated the Nubian child by denying them access to birth certificates, which would lead them from becoming stateless. So we started a project with Namati based in the U.S. and uh, also Open Society Justice Initiative based uh, in the U.S. through a project called Paralegal Project, which started in 2013. Our aim was to train the community which is illiterate in terms of understanding the law. So what we were doing is to make sure that the community understand the law, shape the, shape the law, and also use the law to hold the government accountable towards advocating for their rights to ask them to give them nationality so that they can enjoy services uh, with uh, like other Kenyans. Um, we also work to empower the Nubian community to fight and advocate for their rights. Uh, the citizenship project started with uh, almost 12 paradigals who were trained and then these paralegals have further trained other organizations such as a uh, Haki Center in Mombasa, Paranet in uh, Wajia, Haki Nasheria in uh, Garissa, with a pool of close to 50 paralegals over a period of 10 years. 
some of the issues that we've been working on is to make sure that Nubian community is issued with birth certificates. Birth certificates are the main document that you require for you to register for, for identification cards so that it can prove you are a Kenyan. But the Nubian community have been facing challenges in accessing this document through scrutiny whereby sometimes if you are an applicant, let me say, for example, myself, applying for a legal identity at the age of 18, I will be required, the national, the Kenyan Gazette states that I only need a copy of my parents' uh, ID card, my birth certificate, so that I can register for identification card. But for a Nubian community, this is a challenge for them because you have to produce your original birth certificate, which is a problem to access it. You have to provide both parents' identification cards. Sometimes they even ask you for your great-grandparents' identification cards to just continue uh, increasing discrimination among the community. The law of the Kenyan Citizenship Act is open, whereby the registrar has been given a description of asking for more documents. We, Nubian community, are found in over six counties. This is uh, Nairobi, uh, Mombasa, Meru County, Bungoma, uh, Eldama Ravine, and other various uh, counties I'll be able to share with you through some notes. So these are the challenges that we've been facing as a community to be able to help. And we're trying to help the community through the use of community paralegals to empower them so that they can use the law and hold the government accountable. The project has been going on. And what we've been trying to do is to at least show the applicants where they can apply for birth certificates, where they can apply for national identification cards, and also the documents that they need to be able to be registered. Because one of the challenges the Nubian community faces is you have to prove your nationality, unlike other community members who can just appear at the registration office and then they register for their documents. But this is not the same as the Nubian community. So the argument that came from the African Commission and the welfare of a child was violation of the rights to acquire nationality at birth. For a Nubian community, you only realize you're not a Kenyan at the age of 18. So you might live from zero age to 17 and uh, uh, 0.9 years knowing that you're a Kenyan. But when you're going to apply for a document, that's when you realize that you are not going to be treated the same as others. The unlawful discrimination of the Nubian child, whereby after you go for application of identification card, you have to go a scrutiny whereby uh, apparatus of security personnel, they settle, they, they arrange themselves in a room. And then you as a client, they ask you questions. Uh, these questions they can ask you sometimes, have you ever eaten matoke? There are communities in Kenya and Uganda, which use the word, uh, matoke as a means of manana. So if you say you've ever eaten banana, uh, matoke, they might say you come from Uganda, even if you're a Kenyan, just because you know that word. Other things, they can even judge you based on your skin, because Nubians are seen to be black in color. So if you are a Nubian with a lighter skin, they discriminate you automatically because they say Nubians are not supposed to be lighter. Other things that they can use at least to discriminate against you is Sometimes even your hairstyle. If your hairstyle looks like coiled and lighter, not hard hair, they will just say that you're not Nubian. 
because Nubians, they seem to be pure Africans. These are discriminations that the Nubian community has been facing. And they undergo through three types of vetting so that you can prove for your nationality. Remember, for all Kenyans, you only need one month to apply for a document. From day one to day 30, you're issued with your national documentation. But for the Nubians, it is not the same. They go through three types of vetting. One of them is called elders vetting. The elders vetting is you have to come with your parent and then prove you've been there for a specific period of time. And these elders are supposed to be there and vouch for you instead that this we know this is Yasa, the parents has this and this, so that they can be able to help you push for the application processes. And this vetting for elders happens twice in a week. But for other applicants, it happens Monday to Friday, which shows total discrimination. If your application doesn't fall within Tuesday and Thursday, that means you'll not be able to apply for any identification card. Then there is vetting number two. This is where after you have qualified from the elders vetting, they have vetted you, they know where you are, they have taken all of your documents. Then you are subjected to vetting number two, which takes place once in a month. Due to COVID-19, they reduced the number from 200 to 50, but we've tried to advocate until they push the number to 100. So on a monthly basis, they vet 100 people. And this is not only the Nubians. If you happen to be a Nubian and you are shortlisted, the better for you. But if you happen to not be shortlisted in the 100 names, then you cannot be able to get access to uh, a vetting. So this is one of the challenges that limits the Nubians because picturing opportunities, we've seen people missing out of scholarships because you're told we have a scholarship which is ending in the next two weeks and we want you to apply for an ID so that you can get this uh, scholarship. Many, many Nubian children have lost out of education, scholarship, job opportunities, just because of the length and period of applying for identification cards. Then there is vetting number three, uh, which is called District Security Investigation Committee. This is basically national security vetting a, a citizen. And one of the issues that we've been advocating is how can you relate citizenship and nationality with national security? It doesn't make sense at all because many cases, the security apparatus have always been saying we are doing vetting for the Nubian community and the Somalis because of national security. But one thing we forget, if someone is undocumented, he or she is at more risk of doing more harm than someone who is documented. So these are the challenges that the Nubians have been facing as we, we, we go. During the African Commission, there are some uh, recommendations that were put into place that the Kenyan government should have followed. One of them were to establish a transparent and non-discriminatory criteria and procedures for determining who is a Kenyan. This is vetting, to just come up with simple ways of proving who you are. For the National Gazette, as, as I had said earlier, it is indicated clearly for one to apply for a Kenyan citizen, you must have your parents' ID, either one of them or and a birth certificate of your own. But for Nubians, you must provide all the parents. Mm. To some extent, sometimes you have to go with them physically. So this means if your parent is not in Kenya and you're applying for an ID, you'll have to wait for your parents to come all the way from where they are to just come and apply with you. And then sometimes your document might be rejected and you cannot even be told 
why your document has been rejected and what you need for you to continue applying for your document. They were also told to address the problems of discrimination among the Nubian community. They were also told to make sure that all this implementation, they were told to make sure that the Kenyan uh, Nubian child is able to access birth certificate without difficulties. And they were given a period of six months to implement these uh, recommendations. This is in 2011, but up to now, these recommendations have not been done. So to jump on into 2019, in 2019, we came up with National Integrated Identity Management System, which is also known as NIMS or uh, Huduma Number. So Huduma Number came through a miscellaneous amendments bill, which was meant to just miscellaneous amendment bill is a bill that is meant to do housekeeping in the uh, in, in parliament. Probably if my name is Yasa, I am missing H at the end, I replace it with it. But Huduma Number was a whole bill that needed to have gone through a substantive measures so that at least it can go out. But Kenyan government implemented it in 2019. What we had to do as Nubian Rights Forum, together with our other counterparts, we went to court to challenge. And why did we go to court to challenge this uh, name system? There was no clear public participation. Public participation is something that should have gone through so that at least people can share their views, we can share our submissions on if the, um, the architecture and the design is good or not. The other one was the issues of data privacy, data privacy and protection. There were no mechanisms that NIMS has been put, that were put in place to make sure that people's data will be collected because some of the things that it was collecting was your DNA, was your GPS, yeah, sometimes the questions they were asking, how many acres of land do you have? Mm. How many wives do you have? The number of accounts you have? These mm. were so many questions that they were asking, which were unnecessary. Another one was the exclusion of the minority groups. Yeah. The Nubian community, the Somalis, the Swahilis, Makonde are minority groups who are subjected to discrimination. If <laughs> Huduma number, as means it is called, if it goes as it is, it will render so many people stateless. And when you are stateless, it simply means that you do not belong anywhere. So, and the last one was the architecture, the way it was designed. Um, it was designed by Idemia. By then, it used to be called Otimofo. So, the system was designed in a centralized manner and during our court procedures we had one person from india who presented a case um submission he's called anand and explained the dangers of having a centralized system because if you have a centralized system of um digital id by a press of a button if i want to say robert is a criminal or i want to link robert with al-shabaab i can just Pick it, the information by press of a button, your, all of your information has been leaked. So what, what we wanted is at least Kenyan government to make sure they come up with procedures of including the stateless communities, the minority communities, so that they can progress with Huduma number. Another one we wanted at least, instead of having a centralized system, could we have a decentralized system so that not all data can be managed by one person, but information can be managed by different persons 
to reduce the risks of your information being shared outside. And the last one was the exclusion of the community. We wanted to make sure before all these things are put into, play, into place, they recognize the Nubian community, they recognize other communities, and they make sure the procedure of application for Huduma Number is clear. Going to Huduma Number, for you to register a Huduma Number, you had to be to provide either a passport, Kenyan passport, provide national identification card, li driving license, or your birth certificate. And all these documents are the ones that the Nubian community and other minority groups do not have. So the Kenyan government came up with an agenda without even coming up with a solution of the discriminated community. So our take was, before you move forward, make sure that there is inclusivity among the Nubian community and other communities before you go. And also the design and architecture of NIMS itself, it had some problems within themselves. So what we wanted the government to do is to make sure all these processes are in place. Based on us going to court, we came up, now the Kenyan government started working in a reversal manner. That's when they came up with a Data Protection Act, which also still has some, some legal frameworks that needs to be put into place. They also came up with the current Huduma Bill. I don't know if you've heard of Huduma Bill. This is something that they came up with which they should have come up with before the implementation of NIMS. So what we they have been doing is ambushing the Nubian community and ambushing Kenyans, whereby if it is Huduma Bill, and this has been pushed really, really by the executive, the previous executive, mm. whenever we raise a concern, they come up with a solution on a very quick way. Probably it is the issues of policy reviews. They will say we are having public participation in the next two days. Mm. That is obscene time for you to give a community or to give a public so that they can send in their submissions. So they used to be playing using delaying tactics, but at least we've worked with a pool of partners that is Open Society Justice Initiative, some members of parliament and also other partners to just come up with legal frameworks to make sure that we are on toes. Anytime they call for a legislative meeting, anytime they call for a public participation, we are there. But in many cases, some of the challenges that we've been facing when we are advocating for these rights is uh, sometimes we, may, we might experience media house blackout. So media houses, most of them used to be paid by government. Mm. Uh, they get good offers from government. So they have to balance, you know, the media houses in Kenya of lately has not been very, very independent. So they always rely on who gives them what and how do they benefit. So when you look at the minority groups, we do not have resources. So it becomes difficult for us to share the problems with the mainstream media. The only places we used to be advocating is through social media, especially Twitter, so that we can be able to reach out to um, lawmakers and also other government officials who could listen to the challenges that the Nubian community faces. So far, the bill was brought in parliament in 2020. It was uh, challenged. It never went through. It came into place again last year around November, and then it was challenged. Nothing. Uh, it didn't go through. The last one was about this time, whereby the executive really used more force to try and implement the Huduma Bill. The Huduma Bill has gaps that needs to be 
put into place. One of the examples is they're telling you that if you don't register for Huduma number within a period of 30 days, they, you might be charged to jail for a period of six months, or you can be fined close to 2 million Kenya shillings mm -hmm. just because you have not you have not registered. One thing they forget is the community is poor in getting information. The government has uses its mainstream media uh, to gazette information, and this one is not passed to everybody. If you are not literate, you're not, you cannot be able to get all this information. Through the push that we have done, um, one of the things that at least we've already seen is um, the Data Protection Act, even though it is not that clear, but at least it is there. The Huduma Bill, which we are still uh, working on making sure that it is all inclusive before it is made into an act. One of the challenges that we will face if the Huduma Bill passes is we have a case at the Court of Appeal. The case is based on the first case that we filed in 2019 and got a judgment, but the judgment did not address the issues of exclusion, did not address the issues of uh, data privacy, but they did acknowledge that there is a challenge. We filed a case as a matter of urgency whereby we wanted the government and the courts to address the issues of exclusion. But we got hit by COVID-19 and from then we've just been receiving delaying tactics whereby the courts are saying we have limited number of judges. Uh, sometimes they're saying you cannot be able to come to courts because of uh, social distances. And the things that we've tried to do also is to just use press releases and also through social media handles to reach out to, to the government and also other implementers to make sure that this issue is being uh, implemented. And when you look at the delaying tactics is um, the case will serve well on our end, but the Huduma bill, if it goes, it means even the case that we filed in 2020 in February, it, it will have to go away. We'll now have to start afresh. Uh, in 2021, that is last year, through our member of parliament, his his uh, former member of parliament, we the Nubian community came up with a petition. And this petition, we came up with it after realizing if Uduma bill goes through, if the case still delays or if it is thrown away, the Nubian community will still be at the disadvantage. So what we did was to just come up with a petition that formally will be on our favor if recommendations come into place, whether Huduma bill is made legal or not. And this, in the petition, we wanted Nubians to be recognized as a tribe because at the moment, there are only 46 tribes. Nubians are not part of the 46 tribes. They are just others. We wanted Nubians to be put in all public services and inclusion because at the moment when you're going to apply for any government job opportunities there are names of tribes that are put into place so if your name if your tribe's name is not there then automatically you cannot apply for that document mm -hmm. we also wanted the government to do away with vetting because vetting it is not only vetting it is only done for specific period people and when you look at the national laws on citizenship 
vetting is supposed to be done to communities who are at the borders. When you look at the Nubians, they are found at the city of Nairobi. They are not at any borders. So one, one of the questions we were asking, why will they be subjected to vetting and they do not come from the border communities? We've worked with also Open Society Justice Initiative and Data Rights as a co-current because the delaying tactics the Kenyan government has been using and also the Kenyan courts has been using to just push for digital ID and make it, making it mandatory. One thing they're saying is um, they want to push for it to have a single source of truth so that at least it can say who you are, what you are, and everything about you. It is a good thing for us, but all we are saying is let's make sure it is all inclusive. Mm. Everybody is included. Nobody should be left behind as um, Sustainable Development 16.9 which states legal identity for all, including free birth certificates. So we have two cases in France. Mm -hmm. One of them is challenging the architecture of uh, Huduma number. The architecture, we believe um, the software that was used, the Kenyan government said it was built locally, but we believe the software that was used was brought in by Idemia, which is a France-based uh, uh, company. So we, as Nubian Rights Forum, could not be able to file a case directly in France. Now we had to look for an organization or a partner that we can work with, that is Data Rights. And we filed a case and we wanted at least Idemia to just show their human rights ways on how the um on how the the software is inclusive of the minority groups and will not end up discriminating more communities the challenges that we've already seen and we saw during the application of huduma number is you use your thumbprint other people due to manual labor work their thumbprints cannot be re readable mm. and i have experienced this during uh the just past uh elections that uh, took mm. place in august uh there is one client who came to apply for a national uh who came to vote but when he gave out his thumbprint it could not be read so that means he could not be able to uh, vote. And that is one of the challenges that we, we experienced. The second case, the case about collection of data. I remember in 2017, when there was elections and people were campaigning, members of the public will say, we received text messages from specific parties Mm -hmm. uh, telling you I am so-and-so and I'm vying for a specific uh, seat, would you please just vote for me? So we were asking ourselves, how much data is outside there if I can receive a text message? And then this text message is telling me, hi, yes, my name is so-and-so, I'm vying for a political seat in this specific area, would you mind voting for me? So we were asking ourselves, how would these members of parliament and other people who are vying getting this information and that is one of the things that we wanted at least at idemia to show more and share with us on how this information is being shared from all these things that we we've done the activities that we do to be able to empower the community is um we use door to door whereby we go in doors, steps. Communities cannot be able to access um, tabs or internet services. So getting information is a challenge. So we work with, um, with community members who are impacted with knowledge and they instill this knowledge to the community. We also use local radio stations, uh, especially 
around places with the same uh, language whereby we just empower the community, ask them questions, also share with them challenges that are within uh, documentation so that they can be able to try and hold the government uh, accountable. For instance, the issue around effectiveness on how, because the World Bank is the one which is coming with digital ID and there are so many good things that they said will be put into place, such as um, you can be able to have mobile banking, you can be able to make your services easier. But the challenges that we experience is you require an ID to register register for a SIM card. Mm -hmm. So this SIM card is the one that you will use to ask for loan or to request for loan. Mm -hmm. So if you are a minority group and you don't have an identification card, that means you cannot apply for a SIM card. That means even that loan, you cannot access it. You will also need a guarantor. A guarantor is someone who will stand on your behalf. Maybe if you have asked for a loan, they can be able to say, yeah, we will stand and vouch for Yasa. But this guarantor is someone also who doesn't have that identification card. And if I have an identification card, I won't be very open to just help you someone who doesn't have identification card. And the last one is the poverty within the community makes it very, very difficult to be able to carry on with the current digital ID system because the G- digital ID system requires internet, requires electricity, le- requires you to be literate enough to understand the situations, and also requires you to use more resources. Let's say it uses a card and that card has a microchip. Up to date, the Kenyan government has not specified how much it might cost, but we've been deliberating when you look at an ATM. In Kenya, ATM costs around um, 500 shillings and that is like $5. The nature of Kenyans, especially the ones living in Kibra, they live under $1 in a day. So if you're telling us Kenyans who are minority, they're living under $1 in a day, how will they be able to raise funds to just register for a card, which is at $5? So those are some of the, some of the underlying challenges that the communities are facing. Uh, for us as, a, as an organization, the challenges that we've been experiencing is digital ID is something very new. Uh, it is something that um, you really need to dig deeply so that at least you can understand how it is related to our work. The citizenship work also has a huge challenge in terms of funding. Many people, when you tell them about the issues of discrimination, they will tell you, we are focusing on environment, we want challenges of gender-based violence, we want to fund education, we want to fund uh, extrajudicial killings. But one thing that donors and other people forget is, in Kenya, for instance, For you to deal on issues of gender, you need an identification card. For you to even register someone who's been beaten by police, you need an identification card. For even that child who's been raped or someone who's been um, taken advantage of, for you to go and report a case in police station, they will ask you for a birth certificate if it is a minor or an ID if it is someone of 18 years of age. So all these things are related into one, which makes you, you can't just receive services, you can't just do anything without uh, having these documents. Yeah. Great, thank you. That was uh, an amazing portrait of, of 
a whole host of very complex issues. Thank you for laying it out so clearly. May I ask you just to, to zoom out for a moment? I mean, how does the Kenyan government explain this digital ID project? I mean, how do they talk to the public about it? I mean, you have such a thorough and devastating critique of it and how it affects Nubians. But what do they say to the broad Kenyan public about the good that this kind of digital technology might do? Sorry to have narrowed the issue to the Nubian community, but um, this is something that digital ID came to affect everybody. From 2019 to date, I can just say the Kenyan government have been using threats whereby they're telling the public, if you don't register for Huduma number, you won't access services. They use an example of not getting passports. So many Kenyans were just forced to register for Huduma number because they were told they wouldn't be able to get passports. Even after the Kenyan courts specifying that nobody should be forced to register for Huduma number. The biggest challenge that we face in Kenya is we are doing the work of government. We are the ones who are sensitizing the public. We are the ones who are telling the public this is the challenge. We are the ones who are telling the public this is the remedies that mm. uh, digital ID has. So what I can say, the Kenyan government has really done little in terms of um, enlightening the public and in terms of telling the public the real information on what is needed mm. and why digital ID is. What we feel as civil society is, and especially myself, it's just that uh, the Kenyan government were given resources by World Bank Mm -hmm. And the opportunity of digital ID came into place and then they were like, wow, we have resources and can we uh, implement this? But the underlying issues mm -hmm. that should be put into place, they did not consider. For instance, there was no data protection completely. Couldn't we have gone to court, we wouldn't have gotten data protection act. Mm -hmm. um, couldn't we have gone to court everybody will have been forced to register for Uduma number. So this means anyone who did not have an ID will have just been subjected to not receiving services. So there is no key point that the Kenyan government is using to sway Kenyans and tell okay. Kenyans that this uh, is the beauty of digital ID and why you should register for digital ID. The only example that they're using is this is going to be a single source of truth. So it will have information about you, where you are. You won't be able to carry so many cards, but we're still deliberating on, we still don't understand that mm. even Kenyans don't understand why should we embrace for this. So, so is the agenda really driven by the World Bank then and the, the Kenyan officials simply seize this opportunity and the funding and, and perhaps the attention from the World Bank to push this? I mean, is there another agenda at play? I mean, you've, you've highlighted so many ways in which this can be obviously a technology for control, for exclusion, for discrimination. I mean, do you think the government sees it through that lens or are they merely taking what's being offered, you know, in a kind of top-down fashion from the World Bank? I feel Kenyan government is doing what they've been offered. It's mm. like they're following what the World Bank wants. Mm. But the underlying issue is uh, when you look at what World Bank wants is something clear. They have specified on the basic areas on why digital ID will be important. But the Kenyan government are not following this. They're not following the procedures that are supposed to be taken into place. Okay. What they're doing is they're doing things in a reversal manner. They want to implement after implementing, that's when they come up with policies and legal frameworks. For instance, the, there was no data commissioner. There is no office 
for data protection. Mm. There is no specific entity or a department that has been set aside, which will basically be focusing on digital ID. What they've done is everything related to digital, digital ID, they have termed it to be a security issue. So, and the security personnel are not using this information to favor Kenyans. They're using this information to pin Kenyans. And mm. it risks more people are put into more risks if these uh, issues are not put into place. Kenyan government has been known for violating human rights in terms of police brutality mm. and forced disappearances, extrajudicial killings. So if this information, again, is shared with them fully, including your iris, your earlobes, your fingerprints, where you are, everything, this means it will be easier for them to just come after you and do any harm to you because there are no procedures that has been put into place to protect you. One of the issues that we've seen is sometimes in the bill, they tell you if your data has been breached, your information has been breached by someone, they will only notify you. That is not enough information. If you notify me, my bank, my bank, my bank account has been hacked. You notify me, probably my data on health has been hacked, but you're not telling me where it was hacked, who hacked it, and what remedies you're going to put into place to make sure that my information is protected. So all these gaps that are being pushed and we don't really know why the Kenyan government is really pushing this by force and is really using a lot of resources too. They, they did a pilot. And what I believe about pilot project is you're doing it, you come and realize the challenges that you've seen through the pilot, the gaps that you've already seen, and how you can be able to come up with solutions through this pilot project. What did they do? They implemented the pilot project within a period of six weeks they came and implemented the whole project. So there was no SWOT analysis that was done. We did not know how is the uh, issue going to work with and how is the challenges going to be solved. Do you know how many people have had their biometric data collected so far? Have they actually collected mass information? Our Kenyan government said they collected around 36 million uh, oh. data. So I don't know if that is uh, true to them, but the only thing they've said also is uh, from the 36 million Kenyans, only around 7 million are, 7 million are the ones who have been given their Huduma card. So basically, if Huduma card is made mandatory, it means we are 50 million. So 43 million Kenyans are going to be excluded in terms of services. Here we're offered this vision from tech companies promising all these technological solutions for everything. And I think part of what many companies here especially imagine is, you know, that, that Kenya and indeed the whole continent uh, you know, of Africa will be a kind of proving ground for new forms of government working together with technology to deliver services in, in more efficient ways, in a way they could potentially kind of leapfrog all these logistical hurdles experienced elsewhere to make, you know, all things digital a kind of fast path to good governments, to you know, the provision of services in more efficient ways. What else would you say to the kind of architects of that of that world? I mean, you've made a devastating critique of it here, but today, but I think the, the picture, you know, in the United States, especially here in Silicon Valley, we're in the heart of it here, is very much about a kind of utopian future that technology can bring. And of course, there are critiques, there are warnings about 
dystopia that have to do with some of the themes you mentioned around the exploitation of data and the ways in which surveillance, of course, can be heightened through such data. But looking at it from, from Kenya and, and kind of looking out to California, to the world, what, what would you say? I mean, if you're speaking directly to this company in France that's working on this software, what would your admonition be to them about how they might proceed with more humility or caution or thoughtfulness in, in seeking to impose these kinds of knowledge orders uh, on other places where obviously, as you've explained today, the society is far more complicated than I think the, the software architects actually imagine. What, what might you offer to them to, to help guide them in thinking more carefully and thoughtfully about the technology that they're creating and then the ways in which you know it can have effects that, that perhaps they never imagined in places like Kenya, the impact upon uh, Nubian communities, for example? I think the tech companies, what they need to do is come up with policies that will protect communities who are at risk of being left out because mm-hmm. the tech companies, what they only see is the positive part whereby it will make services faster, you will know who has um, entered your data, you will know all the information from somebody, any, all the information. But the underlying issues is when you look at sustainable development 16.9, uh, legal identity to all, and also make sure that there is inclusivity. So however much the tech companies see the positive need of using digitalization, they should make sure that they involve human rights, civil societies, affected communities, so that they can share their views about the impact of it. For instance, the architecture, the way it looks like. For people whose thumbprints have been spoiled, it means you cannot, uh, it cannot be read. For instance, Kenyan government, they wanted to implement the Huduma number without coming up with procedures, the Data Protection Act. It is something that um, Kenyan government and also the Kenya as a whole, we've really tried to come up with Data Privacy Act for the last 10 years. But Mm. over the period of time when Huduma Bill came, they decided to unsent it and make it into an act. So all these rushings are the ones that we're saying they should be factored in. Communities who cannot register for this digital ID due to lack of other documents, give Mm. them these documents so that they can register for Huduma Bill, for Huduma Number, come up with a legal framework that will Mm. protect each and every single Kenyan. One of the challenges that we have is digital technology is seen to be a best thing to help human nature and also make services faster. But when you look at Africa, based on data outside, we close to 500 million Africans live without legal identity. And one of the main documents that you will need to register for digital ID, you need a sense of documentation. So if half a billion Kenya, uh, half a billion Africans do not have these documents, it means only the remaining 500 million are the ones who are going to benefit. That is economically uh, reducing their needs. Kenya and other African countries who are pushing toward digital ID, they're giving examples with countries which has small number of people. When you look at example, Estonia, Estonia has less than 5 million people. Kenya has a number of 50 million Kenyans. So the underlying factor is Estonia is a developed country. It's a first world country. There is access to internet almost everywhere. The systems that they're using is 
decentralized. It means not all the information is stored in one place. But when you look at the architecture in Kenya, our legal and registration system is not yet in place. There are only specific towns who can access digital ID, let's say in Nairobi, Mombasa, uh, some parts of Kisumu. But when you look at the entire nation of Kenya, we have 47 counties. So it means we are only going to impact three counties. What, am, what about the remaining 44 counties? Another underlying issues is access to internet. Digital ID requires internet. Kenya, only specific counties have access to internet. And within those specific counties, only specific number of people can access internet. So all these underlying issues have to be put into place. We have to make sure that Everybody can access internet across the nation. Everybody can access gadgets that they can use for this digital ID. They also need to tell us the offices that we can visit in order to share our challenges. But at the moment, it is only Nairobi, which is being used as a case study. We don't want a specific town to be used as a, as a case study. We want the entire nation so that when we are migrating, no one is going to be left behind. The challenges of... Um, birth certificates. We still have challenges in other communities. They cannot even afford to register for a birth certificate mm -hmm. due to probably distance. They have to travel over 300 kilometers to just go and apply for your child's birth certificate so that you can apply for Huduma number. If your digital ID card has an issue, you will have to travel all the way from where you are up to Nairobi so that you can come and raise your issues. So instead of the system making services easier, it's continuing to make services more and more difficult. And this means many people are still going to be uh, left out and discriminated. That is what I can say at the moment. That's a very important uh, set of lessons that, that should definitely be heard within Kenya and beyond, obviously. Thank you for, for sharing them. May I ask too, when your organization works in local communities, what kind of response do people offer? How are people responding? I mean, are, are, they, are they aware of what's happening? Or they have um, you know, their own kind of frameworks for understanding them? Are they skeptical? Are they hostile? Or are they kind of open-minded about it? Because they, you know, one hears outside of Kenya, one hears how Kenyans and, and others in neighboring states are quickly adapting, especially in urban areas, to new kinds of technologies and the spread of the cell phone you know, has become universal. Is there kind of openness or are people more or less falling in line with the critique that, that you're offering? One thing I can say is the implementation of digital ID in Kenya was in a form of a threat. So from the beginning as a threat up to now, there are still other community members whom couldn't we have gone outside and tell them these are the gaps that we are talking about. This is the reason why we went to court. This is some of the issues that we are talking about everybody will have registered. And the most affected ones are the civil servants who work directly with governments. Mm. Um, I've worked with colleagues that I, I have friends. They used to be telling me, I was told by my mom, I should not come back home if I don't register for Uduma number. Mm. I was told by my boss, if I don't register for Uduma number, I will be sacked. So there are people who they did not register for this digital ID just because they know it or they wanted it. Many of them registered because of the fear that they didn't want to be locked out. For instance, government official telling you, if you don't register, you won't get a passport and mm -hmm. you still need a passport to go and maybe travel and go somewhere. So mm -hmm. what we tried to do at least is use other 
means and other handles, Twitter, Facebook, mm. community dialogues, to just increase more re empowerment, explain to the public on the gaps that digital ID has and where we think they can be able to help us. And we re we've received um, positive feedbacks from them. We've received organizations from Uganda, from Tanzania, university students who would want more talks with us, who would want more explanations on how will they be involved in terms of policy change and in terms of making sure that there is inclusivity among all. So there is a lot of interest among the community members, mm -hmm. but at the beginning there was no interest at all because it was an issue that the public felt it is only related to the discriminated community. But now when it comes to risking your job, it comes to your boss telling you if you don't register for this, you will lose out of opportunities. Mm -hmm. And also the contract itself, we don't even know how the contract was issued by the Kenyan government. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of implementation of NIMS, they said it's gonna it's gonna cost six billion. But up to now, it has not been implemented fully. We've already used eleven billion. So wow. we're asking ourselves how value for money. What is the importance of this? Even during the submissions of Huduma number, there were uh, Huduma bill. There was a government entity, uh, National Health Insurance Fund, who came up boldly and said. Huduma number should not be made mandatory because out of the 26 million Kenyans who have registered for Huduma, uh, who have registered for universal health care, 13, 13 million of their dependents will not be able to access services if it is made mandatory because they did not have the avenues of registering for this digital ID. So there is a lot, a lot of um, sensitization that is needed. We need tech companies to work with civil societies so that at least we can come up with legal frameworks that will protect the human rights. Even the, the judges themselves, when they were submitting their judgment, they sounded as if they did not really have more and more understanding on what digital ID is. So mm -hmm. if we go by a, a sense of assumptions that digital ID is the future and we don't really underline the under, uh, we don't really check on the underlying issues which will lead to more exclusion and also uh, issues around security, then we'll be missing it out. So all these things need to be put into place. And I think the Kenyan government also needs to be enlightened and empowered about mm -hmm. the issues of digital ID because some of them are saying we are proposing this. Some of them are saying we don't even understand how digital ID is going to solve all the issues. So there is a lot of mixed up within mm -hmm. community members who would want to push for this. And is radio still the most important medium or do you think you're reaching more people via social media? Things like Twitter has been effective in terms of reaching out to larger companies, mm. foundations, or think tanks. But when it comes to community, many of them do not even have phones. Right. Many of them cannot even access uh, internet. So if you communicate with them through social media like Twitter or Facebook, you will not be able to reach out to them. Many of them don't even know how to read. So what we do is try to use local radio stations mm. and also hold 
uh, one-on-one meetings, physical mm. meetings, whereby we travel across the nation to just have a sitting with the communities then and empower them. That is the best way that we use sometimes. Sometimes when you get opportunities on so uh, mainstream medias, we also try to use that to empower the community. And there is a tendency that now we've used we call it paid forward. Uh, it's an activity that started in 2017, whereby since we have limited resources and also limited personnel, the person that we empower, we also ask them if they are willing to share the knowledge to another person. Mm-hmm. This is a sustainability way of keeping the project moving because I empower you, you empower another person, then that person empowers another person. Then the information becomes wider and it is reached out to as many people as possible. So those are some of the avenues that we use. Other avenues is uh, to try and um, just have mass uh, registrations of persons, whereby we work with civil registry, bring people on the ground and make them register for birth certificates to prevent them from facing challenges in terms of the near future. Because one thing we can't run away from is digital ID, whether we like it or not, it's going to be implemented. So what we're trying to do is to just make sure that there is inclusivity, the architecture itself is in good, it is in good shape, there is public participation, because currently public participation has only happened in Nairobi. We have 47 counties, so we need to make sure that it is all-inclusive and views of all Kenyans are put into place before it is implemented. May I ask, too, just to begin to conclude, you've assembled so many partners you know, within Kenya, and it sounds like you've also had important contacts with Open Society Foundation and with the court system in France. Can you say more about what you're looking to do in terms of connecting to you know, NGOs and and companies and perhaps legal jurisdictions outside of Kenya? Are you still kind of on the hunt for those kinds of partners? What I can say, we are very open to sharing more of our experiences, but funding has always been a challenge. Mm. And um, that is something that we don't know how we can factor in, but we try to do more fundraising and also increase more partners so that at least we can get more people who are talking about these issues even during our absence. We have partners. At the moment, we work with the East African Nationality Network, which we formed earlier, uh, mid this year. It is comprising of uh, countries, five countries or six. This is Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, Burundi, South Sudan, and Sudan. We just want to speak in one language, talk about the issues of discrimination, the underlying issues on digital ID, and see how we can move together as a region so that we can address these issues. So we are partnering with various organizations to make sure that these issues of digital ID is going to make a difference. But one of the challenges we, we experienced apart from funding is COVID-19, which limited us from meeting and discussing various issues and seeing how do we move forward. For example, Uganda, they wanted to go to court to challenge their digital ID system, which is already being implemented, whereby Elders are being affected and children. Elders do not have digital ID, so they are not issued with their with services such as healthcare. So we we we've already seen this um 
challenges being experienced and more communities will want more of our expertise to see how can we use litigation to prevent companies from doing this. But one thing that I want us to focus more is uh, civil societies have always been working with government and civil societies. But now the tech companies are coming into place and they are really violating the human rights. So there is a lot of need for us to work together with uh, tech companies and also get to understand how is their surveillance in terms of human rights, things that they are providing to humans. Is it going to bring more harm and benefit the little number of community or is it going to benefit the larger public so that we don't leave anyone behind? So we are looking at options and how we can partner with more people to share more knowledge and make an impactful society. Uh, that's a, a wonderful distillation of, of so many concerns. I think the, the intersection that you point to of human rights and civil society and now this new world of tech companies is really so crucial, obviously, as you've shown for Kenya, but but for us in the United States and really across the planet. So thank you for highlighting that so eloquently. And I, I think I'll have to pause here, Yasa, and, but I wanted to thank you for just an amazing education you've offered. And I hope we'll share it widely as, as widely as possible. And, and of course, I have to draw more attention to your important work there. And on behalf of the Institute for New Global Politics, we're really so grateful for your expertise and, and your thoughtfulness and really inspiring, you know, grassroots work to, to tackle these important issues, you know, through the law, through education, through media. And it's really um, impressive and, and amazing. So I'm, I'm really in awe and in your debt for, for you sharing all this. So thank you. This is what you meant. I learned so much.